the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. I am not Bob France. I am Josh Booth. Uh, we are having some technical difficulties this morning, but Bob will be live after the first segment, so just hang tight. It is a Monday morning, and it is Thanksgiving weekend. Of course, you're going to have a few glitches here and there. But uh, in the meantime, let's listen to a segment from Thursday as we're talking about what education needs. And uh, here's Bob here on Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Thinking that things are going to get better in our public schools, not by a long shot, at least not in any short period of time. It's going to take a while to try to root out those indoctrinators, groomers, recruiters, coercion experts uh, who are inhabiting too many classrooms, trying to poison kids' minds with CRT, with uh, SEL, with um, CSE. You know, the gender critical theory or critical gender theory, which is the same exact thing as the critical race theory in terms of what it does, the Marxist principles of division between oppressors and victims, uh, it's not going to get any better anytime soon. We're going to have to figure out what the alternative is. Is it homeschooling or, again, is it the uh, classical academies and these kinds of things? So so let me, let me just kind of give you a little bit of an idea of how bad it is. And this is the push 
that we have to make, um, and I know this isn't Ohio, but just this is the culture. And as radical as San Francisco is, and it's radical, this might be its most radical position yet. San Francisco, the city of San Francisco, is paying monthly stimulus payments to certain residents of that city. And you know what that know what those those residents are? Are they veterans who are struggling, barely making ends meet, suffering from PTSD, maybe homeless, certainly hungry? Nope. It's trans people. San Francisco tax dollars are going to $1,200 per month stimulus payments to people simply for being trans or some variation of trans. And that variation is really, really varied. First, the details. Then we'll talk about the variations. San Francisco... The city's mayor, London Breed, announced that they will be accepting applications for the GIT, I'm sorry, GIFT program. That's GIFT, Guaranteed Income for Trans People. GIFT program. It started yesterday. GIFT is exclusive to transgender residents and is led by the Transgender District. I didn't know they had a district. Guess they do. A neighborhood of the city for transgender people, the program will pay at least 55 transgender residents $1,200 a month for up to 18 months just for existing, just for living there, just for breathing, just for being in the city and saying, I like to dress up as the opposite sex. Just for cross-dressing, here's $1,200 a month. Isn't that super? It's so inclusive. Economically marginalized transgender people with unrestricted monthly guaranteed income provided to them as a way to combat poverty that our most impacted community members face, they say. And again, I would love to find out what the statistics are of homeless and economically marginalized veteran people. I'd like to know what those are in San Francisco compared to the transgender people. The Transgender District and Lion Martin Community Health Services, in partnership with municipal city departments in the city and county of San Francisco, will provide $1,200 a month in guaranteed income for a year and a half. The program will prioritize the enrollment of transgender, non-binary, gender non-conforming, and intersex people who are also black and indigenous and people of color experiencing homelessness, living with disabilities and chronic illnesses, youth and elders, monolingual Spanish speakers, and those who are vulnerable to such as TGI people. I don't even want to know what the TGI stands for. I don't, swear to God. Who are undocumented, engaging in survival sex trades, or are formerly incarcerated, the program's website reads. The program's payments will be both regular and unconditional for applicants to give steady income to those recipients. Let me hit that part again. Unconditional. In other words, if you are a trans person living in San Francisco getting $1,200 in tax dollars from from the, the employed people of that city, 
and you spend that money on drugs, no problem. Another check coming next month. Unconditional. The mayor's office also stated that in addition to the temporary income, GIFT will also provide other resources such as financial coaching and gender-affirming medical and mental health care. So in other words, they will help them chop off the parts of their body that they don't want anymore for free. Our guaranteed income program allows us to help our residents when they need it most as a part of the city's economic recovery and our our commitment to creating a more just city for all. We know that our trans communities experience much higher rates of poverty and discrimination. You mean like your veterans community? Oh, never mind them. So this program will target support to lift individuals in this community up. Now, now let's get to just exactly how far-reaching and, and widespread these these identities are. According to the application to be a part of the San Francisco gift program, all you have to do is count yourself as one of 97 different genders. Catch that? 97 different genders. Now, I you probably know how I feel about that. You probably know how Pastor Mark feels about that. When somebody says that there are 97 different genders... Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. But you can check the box for... Are you ready? Just This is just some of them. And these are random, by the way. There's something called transmasculine. There is masculine of center. There is demiboy. Demiboy, I guess it is. There's T-boy. There's brother boy. You can be transsexual, gender queer, non-binary. That's appropriate. Xenogender, femme, femi, butch, boy with an eye, stud, gender outlaw, woo doggy, gender non-conforming. Gender variant. Gender fluid. I wonder what the difference is between gender variant and gender fluid is, by the way. You can be bi-gender. Oh, wow, here's a new one. You can be gender blank. And that blank is filled in by the F word. Gender F word. That's a that's a thing. That's a, that's a gender that can get you to... All you got to do is go to... Knock on the door of City Council. Or, I'm sorry, uh, uh, City Hall. Mayor Breed Place... Yeah, hi, Mayor Breed. I'm gender blank. I'm gender F-word. Give me $1,200. Coming right up. Omnigender. Polygender. Gray gender. X-gender. Mahu. <laughs> Waria. Tidawina. I'm just reading, man. I, I didn't make these up. Trans-feminine, feminine of center, uh, center, T-girl, sister-girl. I, 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 what do I do with these? 
This is 97 different genders that San Francisco will recognize that, that makes you trans and gets you $1,200 stimulus dollars per month, unconditional, for 18 months. Now, if you think we're done, how about the pronouns? At the Transgender District Gift Program, those who recognize or those who identify themselves as being trans can use and will be addressed as she, her, or hers, he, him, or his, which is exactly where the list should end. That's it, because you know as well as I do. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. But they can use they, them, and theirs. It. It's. Or another kind of it's. Co, co, and cause. Zai, zim, and zis. Z. Her with an I and hers with an I? How do you know if you've misgendered someone if you call them a her, but you meant it with an E, and she uses hers as an I? (laughs) How do you know if you call somebody thinking you're saying it with an I and you said it with an E? You're in trouble now. You misgendered somebody. There's XE, XEM, and XYRS, which I'm just going to say is XE, XM, and XRs, and shove this up your X... Rear. Uh, there's E Y E M and E I R S. I don't know what you call those. E I I I I I I I P. There's per and per and purs. Fay and fair and fares and a and air and airs and t and tay and tears and v and ver and vis. And then there's an option for no pronouns at all. Just name at all times. And they're giving tax dollars away for this just for existing as a psychological patient. And I want to say this very, very clearly. It is exactly that. It is one of two things. Until that music, while I make this point, which is important. Anybody claiming this is one of two things. They are literally a psychological patient suffering from something called gender dysphoria, which strikes a very infinitesimally small number of people. Where they're literally, their mind does not match up with what their body is. Their mind cannot reconcile with the fact that they are XX or XY chromosomed, that they are physiologically and biologically and anatomically a male or a female, and their mind can't grasp it for whatever reason. Those people have psychological delusions that deserve nothing but our compassion, our sympathy, and, yes, our wishes for treatment, psychological treatment, not body disfigurement. If the mind is at odds with what the body is, the body wins. Because the body knows through its chromosomes and its anatomy and so on and so forth what it is. The mind needs to catch up. As I've said in the past, it's kind of like somebody who is a different kind of psychological patient who doesn't think that they're out there the opposite sex, but they think that they're two separate people or more. Split or multiple personalities? We don't carve the body up into two so they can each be uh, you know, their own different persons. We actually work on the mind and get them to realize that they're only one of them. Right? If there's a debate between body and mind, body wins, work on the mind. That way you don't cut anything up and permanently disfigure someone. So if you are of that side, if you are declaring that you are one of these people who deserves $1,200 free dollars a month because you're trans and you literally have gender dysphoria, you have my compassion and my concern and my prayers for your psychological healing. The only other option is you're a liar and you're a trendsetter. 
or you are a trend follower, otherwise known as an attention whore. And I've said this before, too. I will not apologize for saying it, and I will not pull it back. You are an attention whore. What is an attention whore, you may ask? Look it up. It's an actual thing. An attention whore is someone who will go to outrageous and excessive lengths to get attention, no matter how bad, no matter how wild, no matter how out of control. In fact, I'll give you the actual dictionary definition, quote, as a noun, an individual that routinely solicits attention through inappropriate tactics and provocation, and as a verb, to seek attention through inappropriate means or to an excessive degree. If you're running around there dressed up as something you're not, wearing your man bun or wearing your gauges in your ears and wearing your nose and your cheek and your eye piercings and saying, I'm three different species and I'm four different genders and I'm one thing one day and another thing another day and you will address me appropriately by that day's pronouns and sometimes I might change in a day and you have to address me by the new pronouns that I had that, I, that are different from the ones I had this morning. And if you don't do it, I'm going to report you to HR. Or I'm going to report you to the assistant principal's office. Those people don't have psychological disorders. Those people are attention whores. Nothing more, nothing less. It's time to call it what it is. And it's also time to tell the Ohio State Board of Education and the district boards of education all over this state and all over this country to stop trying to normalize it. You're normalizing attention whoring, and it's hurting our kids. I hope there hasn't been any ambiguity to my discussion here. I hope my point has been made clear. If you have any questions, you know where to find me. On the answer. Well done, Joshua Booth. <laughs> Josh tries to pick music that uh, captures the moment and captures the mood and whatever else is going on here. I think he did a, did a fine job of that. Yeah, it's been very, very manic. Uh, power outage of major proportions at the remote studio. Uh, quick rebound and uh, uh, race to the uh, to the home studio, and away we go. That's just the way it comes out. So uh, apologies to those who uh, missed. Well, I was in the middle of a really good interview with Jim Jordan, too, on the Hugh Hewitt Show this morning uh, at about 8.42, 8.43 when things went out and went dark. So uh, we had to scramble and recover. Thank you to Dwayne for finishing that show. Thanks to you for listening. Thank you to Josh Booth for getting me up and on the air here quickly at this studio. <clears throat> Thank you to Marianne for prepping the room as well. Thanks to Marcy. I don't know where Marcy is, but I know she probably helped too. I got good people here. I just don't have, uh, I, I just don't have power. That's what I don't have is power all of the time, unfortunately. So, uh, we're here and we're live and I do not want to let another minute go by without giving you what I know you're waiting for. And that is what would have happened had I been live at the top of the show. And that is our pledge. So patriots, go ahead and please rise. Let's get this thing started, right? And face your flag if you have one. By the way, Jay, his name is Jay. I met the guy who first gave me the idea to share with other people to find a way to put a flag in front of you for our pledge. 
I told this story many times, uh, probably about two years ago, the first time, I guess. I, I, I can't count it, but I said I, I heard from a guy who said he likes to do the pledge with me every morning when we do it, but he's in his car most of the time. And the guy said, so what I did is I took a stamp, an American flag postage stamp, and he stuck it to his dashboard so that whenever he does the pledge with me when he's in the car, at, you know, right after 9 o'clock every morning, he can look at a flag. And I just loved it. And I, and I repeated it, and then other people started sending me pictures of their flags and where they put them in strategic places where they knew they would be you know, right, at, right after 9 o'clock so they could do the pledge. It means a lot to people. I brought this up. Um, Wednesday night at the Citizens for Free Speech National Town Hall meeting we had at Liberty Valley Church, and uh, everybody was just like really, you know, so pro that story. Uh, and 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 because I asked everybody, I said, "How many of you for real stand when I say stand? You were by yourself. Nobody will know. You can just tell people you stood. How many of you really do it?" How many really put your hand over your heart? How many really say the pledge to the radio? Nobody's watching you. Nobody's there to, um, you know, to hold you accountable for it. How many people really are doing that? And every hand, I mean, it's crazy. And then I, I brought it up again um, <clears throat> Saturday at the uh, Neoka uh, Symposium, the Northeast Ohio Classical Academy Symposium in Broadview Heights. Anyway, that's where I met Jay, and he came up. By the way, I'm the guy with the stamp. And I said, you're, you're the guy. You're the guy who first gave me that idea. And he said, yep. And uh, I met him and his wife, very nice people. And I told him I'd try to remember his full name. I got the first name. I'm happy with that. But, yeah, Jay, good job. So this means a lot to people. So let's go ahead and stand and face our stamp or whatever it is that we have with a flag image on it to do our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in... Blaming other people for things that they have nothing to do with in order to advance your political cause. Well, then you don't believe in what the liberty of that flag stands for anyway. You may instead of standing, go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. You'll be more comfortable there. While the rest of us do stand and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, so um, what do I mean by what I just said? You know, I always try to tie my little um, you know, pledge introduction uh, with those who may not believe in something into the top story of the morning. And I'm going to do that here because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue. It's very ironic, by the way. When I told Josh Booth, who's running our show for us, to find a, a segment to play in the first segment because of our power outage issue, he just picked one from last week. And the one that he picked happened to be that tran- that San Francisco trans, uh, what's it called, the uh, um, stimu- stimulus payments program, yeah, the gift program, in which they uh, give stimulus payments. Anyway, it was interesting that he chose that, and coincidental to the top story that I wanted to talk about this morning. And that is the story of the Colorado nightclub shooting. In Colorado Springs, there was a terrible shooting in a nightclub that happens to be known as a gay club. Uh, five people were killed, around 18 more injured, and it could have been worse, but some of the club patrons actually took down the shooter. Uh, they took him down and subdued him. They did not 
you know, kill him. And that may or may not be the best case scenario because at least now he's alive. And in a lot of these cases, the shooter either kills himself or they're killed by police when they respond. Uh, and then we know we have to go through looking through manifestos if there is one, social media posts, statements that are made to dirt, determine maybe what his attitude was, what his politics were. Of course, got to know that right away. What is politics? Is he conservative? Is he conservative? Is he a MAGA? Is he a MAGA hat wearer? Uh, determine what his motivation might be. Now, at least in this case, he's alive, so he, you know, maybe some questions can be answered as to whether or not he is, uh, uh, you know, if if hate of homosexuals or LGBTQ or whatever was a motivation for this. But finding that out for certain, well, that's so passe. It's so much easier to just assume and jump right into it and say, it must be, it absolutely is. Because that's exactly what the left is doing right now. The left has decided this is hate, and it's hate that's being driven by people who don't want children to be mutilated when they're young and confused or when they're young and being groomed. You you get that? You understand what they're saying here? Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House of Representatives for now. She won't be in a few more weeks. Nancy Pelosi declared that this was... This shooting at the gay club in Colorado was driven by words used by, by MAGA people, by, by Trump supporters, by Trump uh, loyalists. The haters who have, who have tried to destroy the LGBTQ community and who, who want to drive hate at people who are different, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they're the ones responsible for this shooting. I mean, they're literally coming right out and saying it out loud. Don't believe me? Here's an example. AOC, oftentimes known as ADC, including this time, Alexandria Damasio Cortez, has decided that Lauren Boebert, a fellow member of Congress, Lauren Boebert is not allowed to express any concern or sympathy for the victims in the shooting in Colorado Springs. She's not allowed to because she made it happen. You catch that? Because Lauren Boebert is against the trans agenda, as am I, which, by the way, is different than being against trans people. You understand that? Big difference. But being against the agenda means that she's not allowed to feel sorry for or express sadness empathy, condolences to the victims in a terrible shooting. Lauren Boebert, who is a Colorado, a member of a Congress from Colorado, did what one would expect, expressed sympathy in this tweet. The news out of Colorado Springs is absolutely awful. This morning, the victims and their families are in my prayers. This lawless violence needs to end and end quickly. Pretty harmless? Pretty, you know, uh, pretty pretty clearly stated expression of prayers, expression of concern over violence, sympathy for the victims. Okay, move on. Everybody's expressing that, right? But no, we can't stop with expressing concern and expect and, and expressing love and and support for people, not when there are political points to be scored. 
So Alexandria Damasio Cortez responded, tweeting, At Lauren Boebert, You have played a major role in elevating anti-LGBT plus hate rhetoric and anti-trans lies while spending your time in Congress blocking even the most common sense gun safety laws. You don't get to thoughts and prayers your way out of this. Look inward and change. This is typical of what you are seeing on Twitter right now from the radical, hate-filled left. They are literally saying, Matt Walsh got five people killed. Ben Shapiro got five people killed. Lauren Boebert got five people killed. If they knew who I was, they would say, I got five people killed because we don't believe in the agenda that tells grown adults to sexualize children and then groom them into an alternative lifestyle and then specifically start them on permanent body disfigurement by way of drugs or surgery at a time of their most vulnerable confusion addled um brain formative state we don't agree in doing that to children so therefore that makes us hateful toward the lgbtq community and thus responsible for shootings and assaults and terrible things like this which again at this moment in time we don't even know what the motive was it was a club full of presumably gay people yes but you know what a Christmas parade is, is presumably filled with? A parade full of Christians who believe in Christmas. I didn't hear anybody screaming that the anti-Christian Democrats were responsible for Daryl Brooks, a hate-filled African-American who drove his SUV as fast as he could, swerving to hit as many people as he could in a Christmas parade in Waukesha, Wisconsin, this past Christmas. He was just convicted, by the way, a couple of weeks ago and sentenced to life in prison. But I didn't hear anybody saying this was an anti-Christian or anti-white hate crime, although it most certainly had something to do with it. And I certainly didn't blame Democrats or others who are uh, atheist or who ra- who um, who uh, uh, mock and ridicule Christians, I did I I didn't I didn't hear anybody or I didn't hear anybody blame them. I certainly didn't do it because the the actions of one nut are the actions of one nut. Likewise, I didn't hear anybody blaming radical socialists. Or Bernie Sanders supporters, which are one and the same, and far-left Democrats, when a far-left Democrat socialist Bernie Sanders supporter took a long gun and a whole bunch of rounds of ammunition to a perched high point above the baseball field where the Republican baseball team was practicing back in, twenty, I believe it was 2017, wasn't it? Where the team was practicing and decided he was going to mass murder all of the Republicans on that baseball team succeeded in injuring and wounding Steve Scalise before uh, police officers who were there fired back at the shooter. 
It's the only thing that stopped him from literally just mass murdering the entire Republican congressional baseball team. Did we did we investigate that as a, as a hate crime, as a as a politically driven crime? Because Democrats have expressed and socialists have, have expressed such contempt and disgust for those Republicans. No, no, we didn't. Isn't it interesting how the left always finds a way to blame all of us, including and especially probably President Trump, certainly by way of Trump supporters, for things like this that happened without having any evidence whatsoever as to what the motive was, and if the evidence was that it was LGBTQ hate-related, to then blame those of us who oppose the sexual in grooming and indoctrination of children into deviant alternative lifestyles that we are somehow to blame. That if we support young kids being able to say, I'm a cowboy today and I'm a fairy princess tomorrow, that what? You want to be a fairy princess today? You know, you really feel like a girl, don't you? Why don't we work on your pronouns? We'll start calling you her and we'll start calling you uh, hers or saying hers about you and we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that... And shh, We'll keep that away from mommy and daddy. They don't ever have to know. You go ahead and be that fairy princess. Yeah, but tomorrow I'm a football player. No, shh, you're not. You're a fairy princess. Remember that. This is happening all over America. It's happening maybe all over the world. But I'm concerned about it happening here in the United States, and I will not retract my con- condemnation nor my criticism for this attempt to groom these, these young kids into these, these lifestyles I will not retract them because some nut shot up a club. It doesn't make it okay for kids to be bodily mutilated. It doesn't make it okay for grown men to put on lingerie and then twerk their hairy butts in the faces of little kids while little kids put dollars in their in their little stockings. It doesn't make it okay for for these men in lingerie to teach the kids how to shake their own butts and then have people give dollars to them. I'm not going to retract my criticism of those things because a terrible, tragic, horrible shooting happened. It is not right. It is not right to have pornographic materials, literature, on elementary school shelves. To push a radical, sexualized, alternative lifestyle on little kids. If you think that we are going to say, oh, well, there's a terrible, horrible thing that happened in Colorado Springs, and it did. Therefore, it's now okay to promote perversion, pornography, and, and, and sexual deviancy to little kids. Then you have no idea what in the hell we are. You have no idea how dedicated we are. I said I would die on this hill, and I will. How dedicated we are to, res- to restoring some sense of normalcy to childhood. And I'll also say this. To every person in that nightclub and every person in the United States of America uh, who's an adult, who's an adult who considers themselves trans either because of legitimate gender dysphoria or because they were convinced to to go out there and be trendy and so many of them are just following the trends and looking for likes and clicks. They're just attention whores. I don't care if you're an adult. Live your life. 
You want to call yourself something that you're not, go ahead. It doesn't bother me. It only bothers me if you try to then convince young, pre- you know, adolescent children whose brains are, brains are in their formative stages to do the same thing. You try to recruit, we got a problem. You try to coerce, we got a problem. You try to groom, we've got a problem. No one cares if you want to do in your own adult life, dress how you want to dress. Know that it might cost you a job or two, because some people aren't comfortable with, with long blonde hair, pearl necklaces, beautiful sequin gowns, and beards. A lot of people aren't comfortable with that representing their companies or their their places of business. That's on you, though. Go be you and do what you do. Don't try to bring it to kids or we're going to have a problem. And this horrific shooting of people for whatever the motive might be in Colorado Springs will not change that fact. That problem will exist. We're going to protect children regardless. All right, it is uh, 9.54, quick time out. Um, we're going to talk to the Secretary of the State of Ohio, Frank LaRose, by the way. I kind of forgot to tell you that in the chaos of the morning, the Manic Monday, as Josh gave us. But Secretary of State Frank LaRose is going to join me at 10.10 to talk about a pretty controversial proposal. I've heard from conservative friends on different points of view, who have different points of view on this, some support the idea of a constitutional amendment threshold of 60%. Some say it's a terrible idea. I'd like to find out what you think. We'll see why the secretary thinks that's a good idea. That's coming up at 1010. But we are uh, wide open for phone calls as well. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is underway now. Good morning. Once again, thanks for joining us. Nine minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock on this Monday, Thanksgiving week Monday. It's the 21st morning. Or, excuse me, it's the, yeah, it's the 21st morning, and I had to get myself straight there for a second. Of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Coming up in just a couple, we're going to talk with the Secretary of State, Frank LaRose. Why? You going to talk about the elections? No. Everything kind of went off without a hitch. State of Ohio when it came to the elections this past, uh, or uh, back on November 8th. But um, there's another reason now, because Frank LaRose is announcing his partnership with State Representative Brian Stewart from Asheville to change the Ohio Constitution, to move forward what they're calling the Ohio Constitution Protection Amendment. And if it's passed, what it does is, uh, it changes the way, it alters the way uh, constitutional amendments can be proposed by initiative petitions, uh, which are often organized by grassroots uh, groups. Issues introduced by initiative petitions now must match a 50% voting mark. 
to amend the Constitution under the new proposal by Secretary LaRose and by Representative Stewart, that would be raised to 60%. And it is an interesting dynamic that I'm seeing play out here since this announcement was made at the end of last week. I've got conservative groups uh, contacting me and urging me to oppose this and others urging me to support this. And I'm not really sure which way to go yet. I have had my my head turned two different ways by groups that um, that really make great points on both sides. You don't want the Constitution to be unavailable to the people to alter it when necessary, but you don't want to make it so easy for outside influences and outside forces, grassroots efforts from places that don't necessarily see things the way that you do or we do, uh, you don't want them to be able to come in and change it very, very easily. And we've seen examples of that in some other states. By the way, according to the Ohio Press Network, um, a number of states already have what uh, Frank LaRose and uh, uh, Representative Brian Stewart are pushing for here, that supermajority requirement for constitutional amendments. Florida, Illinois, Massachusetts, Mississippi, Nebraska, Nevada, Oregon, Washington, and Wyoming are among them. They already have, and what's interesting about that is, in, you know, contained within that group that I just read is a hodgepodge of conservative, more red states and blue states. A little bit of both there. So what does all of this mean? Well, we wanted to ask, ask the gentleman who is behind this initiative, uh, and so let's welcome now to the program the Secretary of State, Frank LaRose. Secretary LaRose, good to have you back on the program here in Cleveland. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. Happy Monday, Bob. Happy Monday to you as well, and congratulations on your victory for another term as uh, as secretary. How do you feel? I, well, I tell you what, I'm honored to do this work and to continue protecting Ohio's elections and running them well. And we've seen examples of other states not being able to run elections well. Ohio continues to make it easy to vote and hard to cheat, and that's what we're proud of here. And uh, It's the work of many hands, by the way, tens of thousands of Ohioans that help us run Election Day and get those Election Day results reported on Election Night, which should be the way everybody else does it as well. I, I, I kind of agree with that. Do you have any knowledge of what the issues are in some of these other states where the, the, it's consistent? You know, you would think if, if a glitch happens one time in one particular county in one particular state, hey, it happens, you fix it and you move on. When it happens again and again and again and again, and it seems that way, for example, out of Maricopa County, Arizona, you just have to say there's something systemic there, uh, either in the people or in the in the, in the machines or, or whatever it might be. Do you have any idea how it is and why it is other states can't do it as effectively as we are here in Ohio, as effectively as they did down in Florida and many other places? Yeah, a lot of it's just logistics, and, and it's. Uh, I'm sorry to say that, that these are easily avoidable problems. They need to re- really check the, the, the basic logistical model for how they get all of those ballots counted on election night. Some states need to look at changing their laws as well. Uh, I've been cautious to, to not really criticize the hardworking election officials. These are dedicated people, but they're working in many cases with bad, outdated laws. We had a saying in the military, Bob, that you sweat in training so you don't bleed in battle. That means you do the work ahead of time. That means you test the machines. That means that you have enough people so that they, all the envelopes can be opened and all the ballots can be scanned and all those kind of things. And that's the way we do it here in Ohio. Um, in Pennsylvania, for example, I testified in their state Senate last year and told them that they needed to fix this. They're not allowed to even cut the envelopes open until Election Day. So, sure, if the Allegheny County Board of Elections doesn't start cutting open hundreds of thousands of envelopes until Election Day, they're not going to have those results on Election Night. We cut them open with a bipartisan team, 
check the signature, verify the ID numbers, and, and have them flattened out and ready to go. And so when you see results on election night in Ohio at 8.30, those aren't from the precinct voting locations. Those haven't even gotten down to the Board of Elections yet in most cases. Those early results on election night are all the early votes and the absentee votes because we've got them all ready to count. So why do you think it is that a state that continues to have those kind of problems doesn't contact somebody like you and saying, how are you guys doing? How are you getting these things done early? Um, you know, I mean, obviously every state can do it themselves. We don't want to federalize elections. I don't want to, I don't want to export your rules and our rules in this state to others, even if it would make things better, because then you get bad actors who do things terribly and, you know, they want to, uh, uh, they want to eliminate any voter ID and they want to make it universal mail and balloting all the time, et cetera, et cetera. You don't want to, you don't want to play around with that federally, but you would just, just think that somebody might contact you and say, tell me how you guys got it to work so well. And, and, and even if it's as simple as you say, slicing those things open beforehand, uh, getting these results in early rather than saying, we'll count those later the next day, the next day, the next week in some cases. Well, the good news is they're, they're starting to. Um, the state of Pennsylvania, the reason I was testifying in their state Senate is because the Republicans in the state Senate asked me to to come over to, to Pennsylvania and say, hey, why does our neighbor to the west over there in Ohio continue to get this right? Well, we in Pennsylvania continue to be embarrassed. Uh, just two years ago, uh, the National Association of Secretaries of State, there's a trade group for everything, right, including what I do. The National Group of Secretaries of State elected me to co-chair the Elections Committee because they look at Ohio as a model for how to do things. The challenge is there's this inertia around election law. It can be really hard to change because legislators from both parties start to read tea leaves that aren't there and think, oh, this is going to benefit one party or the other. In fact, it really generally doesn't if you're smart about it. It's just about better logistics and, and, and being smarter about how you run elections. So we're working with other state legislatures, and you're right. That's the right way to do it. We do not want the federal government intervening in any of this, and we've fought off four very dangerous efforts to federalize elections last year. Thankfully, we were able to kill those in the U.S. Senate. We need to do this at state houses around the country. Yeah, absolutely. Right. We're talking with Secretary of State Frank LaRose uh, this morning on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, I didn't really want to talk about elections other than to congratulate you on yours. Uh, but let's talk about this proposal now. Um, I was trying to explain it as uh, as you came in on the phone call this morning to everybody. Right now, in order to amend the Ohio Constitution by way of an, is- an, an initiative petition, um, a simple majority is required, a 50%, 51 or 50% majority is required, plus one, uh, in order to change the Constitution. Now, you and Representative Stewart have said, not enough. We need to, we need to have a supermajority. 60% of the people should have to vote to change the Constitution. Tell me why you feel that way. What is wrong with the way it's being done now? The simple fact is that it is too easy to amend the founding document of our state. Constitutions exist to lay out the basic framework of government. Constitutions exist to establish the, 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 the principles that you're going to govern your state by. Constitutions are not the right place to have specific parcel numbers for casinos, for example, which, believe it or not, are in our Constitution. Constitutions are not the right place to uh, deal with medical marijuana or any of these other kind of things. But the problem is that it's relatively easy to amend the Constitution. And so enterprising special interest groups have seized on that. And they've taken great advantage of the process here in Ohio and used the Constitution to get their personal projects accomplished. And, And here's the thing. The work of doing an initiated statute, which is the direct democracy way to change the law, 
it takes the same amount of work to do that as it does to amend the Constitution. So why not just go ahead and amend the Constitution? If you're a special interest group, you have every incentive to do that. And Bob, here's a great way to illustrate this. The U.S. Constitution, which has survived longer than any constitution in human history since 1788, the founding document of the United States, I, I believe, divinely inspired and, and very, very craftily and artfully written, contains just over 7,000 words. The Ohio Constitution, which has only been in place in its current form since 1912, has nearly 70,000 words in it. That's just one way of looking at how bloated this has become. And the simple idea is, if your idea, if your concept, if your policy is not popular enough to get 60% of Ohioans behind it, it doesn't belong in the founding document of our state. Work with the legislature to try to get it done. Use the initiated statute process to try to change the law. The Constitution should be protected against that kind of thing. Secretary LaRose, I have heard just since you um, uh, issued your statement on this, your release on this, uh, from conservative groups, different ones with different opinions, who have asked me what my thought was and what position I was going to take on this. <clears throat> and I, and I, I don't know anymore, uh, because you make great points that you just did. I have heard people saying, no, we can't do this, who have made other points. Um, so let me just kind of uh, throw this at you from one who, who, who agrees with the position of 60%. In addition to making it uh, a 60% supermajority for a, an initiative petition to uh, amend the Constitution, why not do that on the legislative side as well? Why not make it uniform that everything that the legislature passes must be 60% or higher? Listen, that's something I'm very much open to. Uh, this is ultimately going to be up to our state reps and state senators. I can tell you uh, Representative Stewart, who introduced this, mm-hmm. uh, wanted to, to only uh, amend the, the part of the Constitution that deals with citizen-initiated constitutional amendments. And the rationale behind it is this. In order to refer a constitutional question to the ballot in the state legislature, you already need 60% of the people's representatives in the legislature. So the consensus building, the moderation, the, the, the finding of the middle ground is done on the front end because you can't refer it to the Constitution. You can't refer it to the, to the ballot to amend the Constitution without getting a supermajority of the legislature anyway. So if the legislative referral process required two 60% thresholds, once in the state house, and then again by a vote of the people, that really what you're doing is making it much harder for the state legislature to engage in this process than, than the citizen process. But again, it's something I'm open to. Uh, listen, it, it's uh, it's very much a, a topic worth discussing. And ultimately, this will be up to the people of Ohio. If the state legislature does, as I hope they will, and refers this to the ballot, it'll be up to the voters in May to determine whether they want to change their constitution in this way. Some of the critics of uh, this suggestion, Secretary, Secretary LaRose, have said this is just you and state Republicans essentially trying to keep your full control of the state. Um, that if the 50% threshold is kept, there may be a redistricting reform measure that hits the ballot. So that uh, uh, the redistricting, and we all saw a big mess, obviously, with the Ohio Supreme Court just this past year in terms of getting the primaries done on time and having to split them. But they're concerned, this is a quote from... Uh, the executive director of the League of Women Voters in Ohio, they're concerned that perhaps abortion or minimum wage or any other issue might get on the ballot by everyday citizens, and they want complete control as to how the state operates. Can you respond to her? Yeah, I think that's a, a cynical view from a group that has unfortunately <laughs> become uh, taken over by, by leftists who uh, are kind of fixated on on a few of these things. Of course, what we're talking about is amending the Constitution, which would 
probably last as long as our lifetimes. And so it should be uh, a very thoughtful conversation, not just about the issues of the day, which, as you mentioned, those are a couple that people are considering bringing to the ballot. Uh, But listen, it it, um, to me also raises the question to those folks rhetorically, you must think your ideas are not very popular among Ohioans if you don't think they can get 60 percent support. And so if if, um, you know, the, the right to abortion or a change of the Constitution as it relates to redistricting or the minimum wage, if 60 percent of Ohioans don't support that, then it doesn't belong in the Ohio Constitution. You can do it in law if you want to convince the legislature of that, but it doesn't belong in the Constitution unless it is broadly popular. Look at issue one and issue two passed just two weeks ago with well over 70 percent because a large swath of Ohioans said this is important to us to protect uh, voting only as a right for citizens and to make sure that judges can consider public safety when setting bail. That was broadly popular, so it belongs in the Constitution. Something that can only get 51, 52, 53 percent of the Ohio's, Ohioans vote does not belong in the Constitution. Is 60 arbitrary, though? Because I, I had somebody ask me, well, if we do this, I mean, what's to say 65 isn't next? What's to say 70? You know what? We need three-quarters of the population to do this for it to really be a broad consensus. We need 75%. We're going to push it to that. Yeah, 60 is a well-established supermajority vote. That's what it takes in the legislature, for example, to override a governor's veto, to refer a question to the, to the, to the Constitution, not to put that on the ballot. That's what it takes in the legislature to enact what's called an emergency clause to make a bill immediately effective without the normal 90-day waiting period. So that 60% is certainly not arbitrary. That's been used not only in our state legislature, but in many other state legislatures as the sort of the, the, the quotient to, to meet for a supermajority threshold. Can you speak, Secretary Frank LaRose, to the part about this that has to do with turnout? Because the concern is that, you know, an off election year when the turnout is very, very low, that it's only going to take 51% of a very small number of people to, to, to forever change and alter uh, the Ohio Constitution. Would there be any, um, as, as maybe an alternative to this, maybe saying that you cannot, you cannot consider constitutional amendments by way of initiative petitions uh, in these off years, that they must be in the even number of years when the turnout is high. And then if you get 50% of a very high turnout, you can still say you've got a pretty good majority of the state. Yeah, this is why every election matters. And by the way, this is why I'm actively supporting a bill right now in the legislature to eliminate August special elections. I bet you a lot of your listeners are saying, wait a second, there are elections in August? Yeah, that's <laughs> been used by... That's been used by school boards, for example, and others to try to sneak in a... Uh, a tax increase when nobody's paying attention. So yeah, that's so true. what we're trying to do. What yeah, what we're trying to do with eliminating those August special elections is make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen. But yeah, we have two elections a year. There's a primary in the spring, there's a general election in the fall. We make it so easy to vote in Ohio that there's no reason not to participate and we work really hard to try to increase participation in each one of those elections. We don't just stop governing for 2 years though waiting for the next presidential election uh because that's when there's going to be a high turnout. We, the business of uh, of of statecraft has to continue. And listen, if this is on the ballot in May, my hope is that we do get a large turnout of Ohioans that want to get out there and, and, and make their voices heard on this. And we work hard to make that happen every election. Last question for you. We're talking with Secretary of State Frank LaRose, and I really appreciate your time this morning on this, especially short notice the way we set this up. So thank you. Um, 
Yeah. Sell sell a skeptical conservative on this. A guy who's a Frank LaRose fan, or people who are Frank LaRose fans and supporter, conservative, uh, they believe in the Constitution, they believe in all of the things you did, but they really don't think that the 60% thing is a good idea. What's your, what's your last selling point? Let, well, let's start with the word conservative, because I'm a proud conservative, you're a proud conservative. We throw that word around, and we don't often stop to think about what it means. It means protecting against sort of radical changes. It means preserving and conserving the, the, the way that this state has operated and this nation has operated. Uh, and, and so it is, to me, a it's the quintessential conservative issue to protect our state constitution against out-of-state special interests or anybody else that may be able to muster 51%. Uh, something as important as our founding document should be conserved and protected against that kind of sort of radical change. Uh, but it's also, again, a simple question of how is the right way to make policy? If you if you believe that, uh, you know, that, that they should change the law as it relates to abortion or that they should change the law as it relates to redistricting or, or, or whatever else, there are other ways to do that uh, than than amending the Constitution. And so the Constitution should be protected uh, as really uh, the founding document that lays out our form of government and core principles like Bill of Rights and, and that kind of thing. Ideas like what kind of, uh, you know, drugs people can access and where casinos should be located just do not belong in the Constitution. This is about getting this right so that we don't continue to have special interests using the process for their own benefit. And, and Mr. Secretary, just to confirm the irony of this, right, it only takes 51% to get this 60% new rule passed. Right. That came up in the press conference we have. Yeah, yeah listen, the process <laughs> that exists currently to amend the Constitution requires a 50 percent vote. And so, yeah, you can't amend the Constitution until you amend the Constitution. And that's exactly <laughs> what this process would require. But again, that, that's the rule that's in place. And, and so with a 50 percent plus one vote, we should be able to fix our Constitution and protect it against special interests going forward. There you go. Secretary of State Frank LaRose, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you spelling that out. Thanks again. And congratulations to you one more time on your victory and on uh, successful elections uh, here in Ohio. You bet. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. That's Frank LaRose. So here's what we're going to do. I want your reactions to this. Do you agree with him, or do you agree with those who say, no, uh, you're, you're making the, the, the Constitution almost unavailable to most Ohioans if they don't get a supermajority, and that's not fair? Uh, I want your reaction to it, and we're going to get a reaction from somebody who is critical of this. You know his voice. He's a regular fill-in host on this show. Find out who it is and what he thinks after the news on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. We should be opening up the, 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 the... Always right with Bob France. I shouldn't be starting off and negotiating in public here, but let me say it this way. On AM 1420, The Answer. True international average of pressure. Onward we roll. Thanks again to uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Gave us a lot of information there about why he wants, and uh, Representative Brian Stewart wants, to adjust the Ohio Constitution so that when you amend the Ohio Constitution, it takes 
a supermajority of 60%. It is interesting to note, as I welcome your responses at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110, it is interesting to note, as I said, that several states already have that supermajority requirement. And as I understand it, right? we've watched this play out in the United States Senate. We've watched this play out. Um, you know, the supermajority is required to uh, uh, to amend the Constitution at the federal level, level as well, legislatively or um, by uh, by initiative petition by the people. Um, I'm trying to get a quote here before I go to our guest who's going to who's going to respond to this. And uh, I'll see if I can find it. Our founding fathers ensure the U.S. Constitution would be protected against outside influences and special interest by requiring a supermajority vote for amendments, said Brian Stewart. That's what it was. It's time to protect the Ohio Constitution in a similar way. So so uh, Representative Brian Stewart, who, of course, is teaming up with Frank LaRose on this effort, is saying, look, if it's good for the state or for the, the uh, U.S. Constitution, why is it not good for the state constitution here in Ohio? Well, I mentioned uh, we were going to have somebody who sees this a little bit differently who's going to respond to that. He's a familiar voice on this program because he's a regular fill-in host, and that belongs to Rob Walgate of the American Policy Roundtable and the Ohio Roundtable. He joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Robert, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. I'm well. Thanks for having me. And it looks like and sounds like we're going to have a tag team, as you oftentimes do whenever uh, you fill in for me. You ask Dave Zanotti, also of the roundtable, of course, to join you and engage our audience in all of the issues of the day. And Dave Zanotti is here as well, but not in Ohio. You're out of, out of state right now, right, Dave? Bob, I often listen to you, uh, no matter where we are in the country working, and because I respect and appreciate your show and you as a person so much. And I just about had a stroke this morning listening to Frank LaRose. <laughs> um, and I said, Rob's completely capable to handle this interview, I can assure you. But I have to add something to you. Okay. The American Policy Roundtable has done more in the modern era in regards to ballot issues than any organization in the state of Ohio. We have more history. And I just listened to Frank LaRose, and I've been reading what Frank LaRose has been doing trash, ignore, or, or dumpster fire so much of the history of the entire concept of ballot and initiatives and then call that a conservative position that I just almost had a stroke. Right on your show, Bob. Almost had a stroke. Okay, first of all, I appreciate you listening even when you're out of state. That's very kind of you. I'm glad, and I'm glad you called in to join Rob on this conversation. Give me an example. What do you mean by, by that? What do you mean by... Well, uh, go ahead. Sure. The, 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 this concept of the initiative statute, ballot initiatives, and citizen involvement goes the whole way back to James Madison and Federalist Number 49. Madison talked about the people being the ultimate flow of the power. That's why our Constitution says, we the people. And, and the concept here is to keep people in a position where they can provide checks and balances against a branch of government that gets out of control. The history of the ballot-initiated statutes and initiatives and referendums comes from the period of the 1900s where major industries were owning legislatures and the people had no shot at seeing true reforms. And so these measures were passed now in 24 states so that when the legislature gets out of control because they're bought and paid for by certain industries, that the people would have a chance to put leverage on top of the General Assembly to protect their power. When Frank LaRose says, easily amend the Constitution. He's got to be out of his mind. We have done this more times than anybody else in the state of Ohio. Easy? We've all, 
You want to stand outside in the freezing rain knowing that you can only sign up a registered voter, that they, you have to have all, you have to get over 650,000 signatures to make sure you can present four to 500,000 of them, to, and that they've got to be 5% of registered voters in 44 of the 88 counties. We have one of the strongest, most onerous thresholds to get to the ballot of any state in the union. And Frank LaRose calls that easy. It's obvious he and his allies have never done it. Well, uh, let's let's bring Rob Allgood in, who originally reached out to me to sp- uh, to speak on this. Um, Rob, uh, to Dave's point, according to uh, what I read in the Ohio Press Network, since 2016, petition-based amendments have been proposed. Five have passed, 11 have failed. So that would indicate it's a lot harder than it sounds. But let's add to that mix again the part about you know off-year elections being very, very low turnout. Not that anybody can do anything about that other than keep telling everybody, vote, 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 vote. But should we change the Constitution with a simple majority if we have a turnout that represents 4 or 5% of the voting electorate in, uh, in the state? Well, we've been advocating for years the ability to only amend the Ohio Constitution in the fall of even-numbered years. That, w- that would ensure that you would have the largest uh, portion of the Ohio electorate having a say on what goes in the Constitution or what stays out of the Ohio Constitution. The thought that Secretary LaRose would say we should have a thoughtful conversation on this, and his idea of a thoughtful conversation is having the General Assembly ram through a joint resolution during a lame duck session to get this on the May ballot in an off-off election year where very little people, very little number of people are going to have a say in it. It makes me scratch my head and say, what's the ulterior motive here? What's going on? Why would we want to amend the Constitution in the spring of an off-off election year? That goes against um, b- Rob, Rob, before you go on, do you, do you know what our Ohio turnout was on the 8th? On the, as far as in the millions, we're a little over... The percentage, percent, no, percentage, percentage. To, um, were we about 60? 60% turnout? Because nationally, 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 I've read that it was thirty-eight percent. We have thirty-eight percent turnout nationally for a fall, even-yeared, you know, midterm election. We only got thirty-eight percent, which is astounding to me, given the right. state of things are right now. Talk, but, are we talking eligible or registered voters, Bob? Because I know there's always a big disconnect in, in in there in the state of Ohio on how many are eligible and how many are actually well, registered. probably registered. Is I think the number I want it to be apples to apples, thirty-eight percent nationally. What okay. was it, Ohio? Okay. I'm not. It's got to have been at least registered. No. The, the reason I'm asking, for, it should be obvious, you know, I want to know how how many Ohio voters uh, came out and voted in this fall, even-numbered year, midterm election, as, as we just pointed out, which is when we get the highest turnouts. Um, right. should, we, should we be satisfied with a simple 50% plus one vote majority in a turnout of X percent? That's the reason I asked. I wanted to know what it was. If we got 75% of the turnout, you know, hey, that's a pretty doggone good, strong statement from the will of the people, or of the will of the people of the state of Ohio. If we're at 40%, like nationally we were, 38%, um, maybe not so much. That's the only reason I asked. Go ahead. Gotcha. Well, I always want it to be everyone that's eligible taking part in the process and getting out there and vote. There's no doubt about that. What just surprises me is um, the secretary talking about the ability to amend the Constitution being too easy, but yet the legislature taking the easy way out and putting it on the ballot in the spring the way they're doing. I mean, I I don't think that um, being consistent in their methodology, as well as the fact that the General Assembly still, when they put joint resolutions on the ballot to amend the Constitution, would only require 50% of the vote. When you look at these other states that have implemented the supermajority, and I know Dave can speak to this in regards to the state of Florida, 
all that does is empower the special interests more and take away the yeah. power from the people because they're the ones with all the money. And it points them back towards the legislature, and it makes them the only ones that can do the ballot process to go towards 60%. You take the people out of it altogether. So, well, you know, Bob. Yeah, go ahead, Dave Zanani. What, what Rob's speaking of is the fact that as an organization, we don't trust politicians. We've got pretty good history with that. And it, when you look at what happened in Florida, they passed the 60% supermajority by running around and telling pro-lifers this would protect you against Planned Parenthood. Or running around and telling people with different I- issues this will protect you. Is, well, it, well, Dave, is, Dave, is that not accurate when you look at Michigan? I was talking to Rob about this uh, before uh, we came yeah. on, and Michigan passed a, with a 57% uh, majority. They passed a constitutional amendment that essentially legalizes abortion into the ninth month, and it also allows for the gender uh, disfiguring and permanent mutilation of children uh, by way of the trans, uh, quote-unquote, gender-affirming care um, for minors. So, uh, you know, that's what they were able I'm to do. And, and, and of course, you knew who backed that. That was backed by Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and the other, uh, the other hate organizations. I would, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Bob, because yeah. our Constitution is our ultimate protection against liberty. We cannot <laughs> forfeit the integrity of the concept of the consent of the governed as it involves itself in checks and balances because we're afraid of losing any single-issue debate. If we don't have the courage to face Planned Parenthood straight up in a public debate, it won't matter. We have to win the public debate for life, not cheat our way there through fearful cowardice of changing constitutional provisions that will come back and bite us in the future. And here's the example in Florida. Since Florida went to the supermajority, almost all the initiatives that now come to the people in Florida come through the legislature. Why? Because the threshold for citizen-initiated opportunities is so great now. With all they've done on signatures and everything else, and now the 60% supermajority, it's worn the people out. The legislature is where all the money goes in, so the special interests pay for their constitutional amendments to the legislature, and the legislature puts them out to the people. It changes the balance of power, and that's never a good idea. I know Dave Zanotti, I know Rob Walgate, I know the Ohio Roundtable, and I know you would never count yourselves on the same side as some of those other organizations. Does it bother you, though, that you're literally, if this were a, if this were a debate on the streets, you'd be on the side with Planned Parenthood and with the NARAL and with the uh, organizations that necess- uh, are not necessarily pro-liberty? That are that no, we literally won't be on the, the same side of the street. We'll be on the same street. They can stay on their side. We'll stay on ours. Nobody's got a corner on the truth, Bob. But, well, I just, I, yeah, and, 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 yeah, and I appreciate the, the, the verbal linguistics there, but what I mean is the LaRose side of the street is let's pass this and make it 60%. The, uh, the, the roundtable side of this, let's not pass, let's keep it 50%. You're gonna, you're gonna be standing on the side of the street that the, uh, that the, that the PP well, people well, are. But Bob, I think. Well, look, if Frank's different. wrong, he's wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think they're wrong, number one. Number two, the other thing is if Democrats were in control of this state, if they had the control that the Republicans had, Frank LaRose and the Republicans would be standing with us because they would want the power to be left to the people. They're on that yeah. side only because they're in the, the party of control and the party of power. That's why they're making this stand and standing this way. They know they have access to the They wouldn't feel this way if the D's had the supermajority in the General Assembly. We want to stand on the side of the Constitution. We want to stand on the side of truth. And we're going to be consistent in that position. So if the D's were in the supermajority in the Ohio General Assembly right now, 
uh, and you knew you couldn't get anything done that you wanted to on a conservative values principles based uh, uh, you know in, in legislation you would want it uh, uh, to be you would still want simple majority to rule is in terms of constitutional amendments fifty percent without a question absolutely that's the only question, way though. you can hold that's the only way you could hold that general assembly accountable look at what we've went through the past three years with covid from a state and a national perspective if we want to pass a health care amendment if we want to pass something to hold the general assembly accountable do we want it just to be the majority of the people or do we want 59 percent to say yes we want to hold them accountable and them to laugh at us and say well guess what go get one more percent but if we want to do something here in the general assembly we only need 50 percent Dave, my concern, Dave, uh, Dave's, we're talking to Rob Walgate and Dave Zanotti, if you just turned us on. <clears throat> they are with, of course, the Ohio Roundtable and the American Policy Roundtable, responding to Frank LaRose, who joined me last half hour talking about his proposal to, uh, along with Brian Stewart in the, uh, general, in the Ohio House, to uh, raise the uh, level of, of, uh, uh, of uh, support for a constitutional amendment to 60% for passage. Um, Dave, you said we need to just win the debate. We have to out-debate them and win on the merits rather than changing the, you know, the voting rules. You know, for example, when it comes to abortion and things of that nature. We tried that, though, and we lost. Uh, in a lot of races around the country, we lost because of the massive voter turnout, because of angry leftists and angry women who are, um, who want their right to, uh, to abort. Uh, their right to kill. I don't like the word right to choose, frankly. It's the opposite of pro-life is pro-death. But anyway. Um, we're losing that fight, and as a result, babies die. Uh, shouldn't we do what we can do to protect life and win the fight, even if it means, uh, uh, you know, uh, an amendment to the Constitution? Bob, you, one of the rules of good governance, and I believe one of the rules that emanates from the entire concept of Judeo-Christian thought in civil government, is you don't try to do the right thing the wrong way. The Constitution is the basic contract between the people and the governments that they establish. When you don't get your way, you don't change the rules. You win the debate. Now, we've lived 50 years in the shadow of the Berlin Wall of Roe versus Wade, and now that wall has fallen. And what we've discovered is that pro-lifers have to come out of that shadow and win the debate for life in a new generation. You can't do this by gimmicks. You've got to go to the streets. You've got to go to the Thanksgiving table. You've got to go to the pulpits, and you've got to fight the fight in academia for the ethic of life. You don't cheat your way out on a scam and change the rules in an off-off election year in a primary through a lame duck session. That just diminishes the entire credibility of your cause. You don't do that. If you're thinking long-term for your children and your grandchildren, you protect the mechanisms by which you can access civil government and ultimately win the day. You don't take shortcuts because they don't work, Bob. They just don't work. So this has to go through both the legislature and then through uh, a vote of the people. And that's, ironically, as I said to Frank, 51% in order to pass the 60% threshold that you want to do here. Uh, do you see this sailing through? Again, there's conservatives, I think, on both sides of this. Do you see this getting through the General Assembly without a problem? Uh, we consider ourselves to be constitutionalists before we're conservatives. Okay, fair enough. Okay. I think and, I think and, we, I, and, I think you and I though and, and all of us stand on the same spot on the ideological spectrum, whatever the name might be. Well, uh, that may be true, but I don't stand on the same spot with Frank LaRose because he's trashing the ethic and the founding and the principle of why we have this sense, sense of checks and balances. He's a part of a. For example, one of the things that's absurd in his argument, Bob, is that he's telling us that the state constitution has too many words. 
Every state constitution in the history of our country has always had more words than the federal constitution. What kind of an absurd argument is that? And, and this is why this measure should be rejected out of hand. These people haven't done their homework. They're not taking a long-term view of respect of, of, of why constitutional law remains with the people. And they're shifting the balance. It will ultimately end up exactly where they say it's not going, which is in the special interest control of the legislature. I did understand his point, though, about the fact that there are ten times more words in the Ohio Constitution, because obviously it We're is being changed be. all the I know, but, but but the idea is that it is obviously very too easily changed and, and amended, which is kind of his That's point only, about simple... simple. His, well, Bob, uh, his point is wrong because he's never done it. We have, and it's not easy. I want to give the last word on this to uh, Rob. Rob, again, uh, what do you think? Sure. Is it going to go through the oh, General Assembly and then get to the uh, people? If we want to have a thoughtful conversation, there's no reason to slam it through a lame duck session and put it on the ballot in the spring of an off-off election year. Have an honest debate about it. Protect the Constitution. And I think many people in Ohio will have their voices heard on this. Well, that's exactly, We're fighting it, Bob. We're fighting that's it exactly what I want to have happen, by the way, is I want as many people to have a voice on this and a say in this, and I want the right decision to come, uh, to, you know, to, to come forth from this. I mean, I think there are good intentions on both sides, but Dave, I get your point. It's got to be done the right way, uh, or it's, uh, or it's the wrong outcome. Uh, Dave Zanotti, Rob Walgate, Rob Walgate, Dave Zanotti, thank you both from the round table. I appreciate it. Merry Christmas to you guys. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Thanks, Bob. Bob. God bless you. All right, there you go. Um, let's take this to the top of the hour news, and we'll come back in hour number three. We'll be guest-free. So uh, you can weigh in on this, on the uh, stories we were discussing earlier uh, with respect to the shooting in Colorado and beyond. And uh, I've got a few President Trump questions for you now that Twitter has opened the gates and allowed him back in. He's been unbanned. Will he take that, or will he say, stick it? I don't want to go back. We'll talk about that, too. Coming up, Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Sometimes I don't speak right. All right. But yet I know what I'm talking about. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. All righty then, hour number three is underway at nine minutes past 11 o'clock on this Monday. A manic Monday it has been. 
It is the 21st morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm going to say happy Thanksgiving to you. I'm going to do it as many times as I can between now and Wednesday show because that will be the last one. Thanksgiving Day will be a best of show. We give you some of the best interviews and segments that we've had over the course of the last, I don't know, several months, sometimes years. We go back and pull some great stuff out for you. You'll do the same thing on Friday as we uh, celebrate capitalism. They like to call it Black Friday, and some people condemn and criticize. It's a celebration of capitalism. It's exactly what it is. Go out there and spend what you can. The problem is, you as well as I know, we're going to have a lot leaner Christmases this year. We're not going to be able to put quite the same amount of food on the table at Thanksgiving because, uh, well, Biden inflation is not a joke. It's not a game. It's not a figment of our imagination. It's not a political talking point. It's reality. Everything costs us more than it did before. It's just that simple. I will wish you a happy birthday. I will not talk to you about the uh, insanity. I might on Wednesday. The insanity of the left trying to cancel Thanksgiving because, of course, they are. Because <sighs> it's a celebration of the raping of the land and the and the attacks on the indigenous peoples and the pilgrims coming and plundering and. And on down the line, uh, it's just uh, I've just uh, had it. I've had it. I've just had it with these people. I'm not going to engage them on their uh, level anymore. I will on some things, though, including one of the top stories we have today, which I'll come back to in a moment, which is uh, the terrible, terrible nightclub shooting shooting in Colorado Springs, and the even worse—that's right, worse—responses of the American left. They, the responses have been as disgusting as the act itself, and I know that's saying a lot, but I think it's true. Because they're literally trying to put blood on the hands of innocent people for not wanting little children to be mutilated or to have their bodies forever disfigured by drugs and their organs to be destroyed by by drugs that block their own natural um, progression in life. So I'll come back to that. But I do want to hit this one. As we open up phone lines, we're guest-free the rest of the way. I want to hit this one. Now that Elon Musk has declared that Donald Trump is welcome back to Twitter and the left is going simply apoplectic over it, they just, and I mean bananas, I mean crazy, bat-blank crazy, off-the-hizzy, faux-shizzy. That, I mean, we're, I'll, I'll read you some of these. It's just, it's crazy. I'll read some of these to you. Uh, but now that uh, Elon Musk has unbanned also, Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson, by the way, Andrew Tate, and uh, the Project Veritas website or uh, uh, account. Those are all have all been restored. Elon Musk is delivering on some of his promises in the very early going of his takeover of Twitter, and that is to restore the accounts of people who are unfairly banned, even though he left this one up to the people. And that's what makes it a little bit odd. Musk, when it comes to Trump, Elon Musk put a Twitter poll out there, and um, his Twitter poll uh, essentially said, should I bring Trump back or not, or should Trump be unbanned or not? And he put it up there for 24 hours, and after 24 hours, over 15 million people had voted on Twitter, and it was narrow, 51.8% to 48.2% said yes. And so he said the people have spoken and Trump is back. My question to you is, should Trump accept the invitation? On two fronts. One, I feel like if I'm Trump, I just want to say, you know what, right there, pal. Uh, you literally took my account away while there are other world leaders who are literal mass murderers who have Twitter accounts, and you took my account away right there, pal. I don't want anything to do with it. 
even though Elon Musk didn't do that to him. Jack Dorsey and the other leftists did. Uh, plus, I've got my truth social, and I, I like my, my platform better than yours anyway, so eh. Or should he say, I need to reach those people? Truth Social is largely a Trump supporter website or uh, platform. I'm, I'm on it, by the way. I, I have a Truth Social account. Always write WHK. But I went back to Twitter as well, and I think we need to engage and reach people who are moderates and independents and people that might be uh, you know, amenable to listening to what you have to say. And so should Trump go back to Twitter for that benefit? And you can find me on Twitter at Always Write. Uh, radio, always write radio. Search for that or search for France on air. Uh, should he go back to Twitter now or should he just thumb his nose and say, no, I'm staying on Truth Social? I don't think he'll be able to resist the temptation to get back on Twitter and reach all of the people and stick his finger in the eye of the CNNs and of the MSNBCs and you know all of those leftist journalists or quote-unquote journalists. I think he's going to want to stick his finger right in their eye. So uh, I'm curious as to your thoughts. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. As for reading some of them, this, I mean, this is, this is, this is what, T, this is where the phrase or the acronym TDS, Trump Derangement Syndrome was, was created. Derek Johnson is the president of the NAACP. He responded to Elon Musk saying the people have spoken, Trump will be reinstated by writing, quote, you are failing our democracy. Wait a minute. Allowing a person, much less a former president of the United States, to join a social media platform and share his voice is failing democracy? I I thought that democracy was served by encouraging more dialogue, encouraging more voices, and then people making their decisions. He says, you are failing our democracy. Your garbage poll means nothing. Did people outside the U.S. vote? Well, wait a minute. Why are you asking? Twitter is a multinational company. Of course people outside the U.S. voted because people outside the U.S. are going to see what people write. Did you reach out to marginalized communities, the targets of Trump's rhetoric for their input? Marginalized communities. Yeah, I want to ask, what exactly is a marginalized community? By the way. Who gets to determine what is marginalized? And second of all, why do their votes count any more than anybody else's votes? The marginalized communities are allowed to vote, too. Your followers don't represent America. If you run Twitter like this, God help us. Wow. Tom DeLong, or DeLonge, I don't know, apparently he's a singer with Blink-182, said, quote, Under eight different grand juries for treason, crimes of humanity, money laundering, espionage, rape, and RICO. WTF, and you know what that stands for, right? What the blank is Elon Musk doing? Why would he position himself along something like this? Um, this one is a this one's a butte. <laughs> uh, Elon Musk is a c-word, and I'll just stop there. You'll let your imagination run as wild as you want. Elon Musk is a c-word, said TV producer Adam Andrew Kimmel on Twitter. Democratic communication specialist Keith Edwards tweeted shortly after Musk's announcement, I hate this man so much. And you know what? That's exactly why I do want this man to go back to Twitter, because they hate him so much there. Rob Reiner, the, you know, the head of Meat. Yeah. Meathead, Rob Reiner. 
Elon Musk is letting a man who led a violent insurrection to overthrow the United States government back on this platform. Letting the lies and disinformation continue to poison the American bloodstream. Wow. So this man led a violent insurrection? Did I hear that correctly? Trump led a violent insurrection. I must have missed that, actually. I do remember what happened. I do remember what happened uh, uh, on uh, uh, on uh, January 6th of 2021. I remember it very well, actually. Um, I, I wouldn't call this leading a violent insurrection, however. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down. Anyone you want, but I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. We have come to demand that Congress do the right thing and only count the electors who have been lawfully slated. Lawfully slated. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Huh. March to the Capitol and make your voices heard. Peacefully and and, and patriotically. Yeah, that can't, that man can't be on Twitter. That's terrible. How dare him call for peace and patriotism when making your voices heard. What a horrible, horrible man that is. These, these people are lunatics, and they really do truly underscore um, what we mean when we say TDS, Trump Derangement Syndrome. Okay, let's go to some phone calls. Uh, who's been sitting here the longest? Uh, TJ has. That's who. TJ, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, TJ. Good morning, Bob. You know, for, before I make my point, I, I think Trump should get back on Twitter. Anything that drives the left bananas to me <laughs> is a good thing. And, and, you know, they don't want him back on. Why? Because they're afraid of him. But the reason I called, you know, listening to your guest in the last segment, I'm still in the fog, you know, on this constitutional issue. But I, one thing I do know, if the left-wing organizations are against it, I'm for it. And... When that one, your guest said that we have to, uh, we can't win by changing the rules. I almost fell out of my chair. I'm sitting there thinking the left has changed the rules and moved the goalposts constantly over the years. And we take the high road and we get our clock cleaned. And yeah, the guest I remember last week said we got to learn to play the game their way and play it better. So from that standpoint there, I'm for this, this amendment. Well, I tell you what I agree with, and thank you, TJ, for the call. I, I agree with doing it, what the Democrats do, better than they do it. And if that means things like when it comes to elections, ballot harvesting in states where it's legal, if that means embracing early voting instead of rejecting it, if that means embracing mail-in voting instead of complaining about how corrupt it is, and, and all of those things may be true, by the way, then do it. As I, I interviewed uh, Selena Zito from uh, the New York Post and the Washington Examiner this morning when I was doing the Hugh Hewitt Show, and uh, she wrote about it, and we talked about it. You know, all early voting long in these crucial battleground states, 
Democrats are banking votes. They're, they're encouraging their people to get out there and vote early, just in case something crazy happens, by the way, and their candidate is exposed as, I don't know, a walking zombie with brain damage like John Fetterman. Let's get all you out there and vote for him before he actually steps on a stage and reveals all of that. Let's get out there and vote by mail. Let's get all of these things done. And they're literally banking votes while the Republicans are out there saying, we believe in Election Day, one day only, and we'll be there. So while they bank votes, we're collecting IOUs promissory notes saying, yeah, I promise I'll be there on election day. But it's not enough. So I agree. Fight them on their level with the tools that they are using to fight. If we can't change the rules and make them right, well, then you fight the rules that are fight with the rules that are wrong uh, with the same vigor and the same energy as your opponent does. Thank you, my man. Uh, Joe in Westlake, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Joe, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hello, Bob. Frank LaRose wants to make it impossible to change the Constitution, yet what amendment ballot initiative did Frank LaRose stop four times? What amendment did it take, using his own legal language, to get past him? The medical right to refuse. Medicalrighttorefuse.com. He stopped that egregiously four times this year, and now he's trying to prevent any amendments from happening. Why is that? Also, uh, we need an amendment to stop Democrat voting in Republican primaries. That gave us another four years of hell with DeWine. Why yeah. is he trying to stop us doing that? Thanks. Thank you for the call, Joe. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's the uh, the open uh, primary situation that so many of us have lamented and complained about. You know, we got a false flag, if you want to call it that, too, um, last week. I don't remember who... Uh, but there was word that some members of the Republican supermajority in the in the General Assembly were going to move to close the primaries so that we can't do, have what happened. And I, I think I gave the numbers out. Some 850,000 Republicans were registered to vote in the primary in May, and yet 1.2 million votes were cast in the Republican gubernatorial primary. Wait, what? How can that be? Well, that's because some 400,000 or so um, you know, Democrats and independents took Republicans' ball- ballots to go over there and screw with it. They literally said, go over there. I read one of the stories on the air. I think it was from the Daily Beast. It said, Democrats, go pull a Republican ballot because you can and vote for Senate Matt Dolan and uh, Governor Mike DeWine. Why? Because they're most like us. Of all of the candidates over there, they are the least conservative, the most lefty, light, you know, malleable, liberal, whatever you want to call it. I can't remember the exact language. I could probably look it up again. But they're the most like us. We can deal with them at least. So go over there and and, and, and vote for them. And sure enough, here we are. We could have had a strong conservative leader like Jim Renacci, but due to the leftist crossover in the open primary, and then, of course, Joe Blystone and his uh, extraordinarily questionable activities and whether or not and I, I don't want to say anything more right now. We'll have a lot more to say about what Joel Plystone is into by way of his deposition. And maybe we'll be saying about him when he's behind bars. I don't know. Uh, but his influence as well, um, we're stuck, as you say, with four more years of the uh, Democrat that is Mike DeWine pretending to be a Republican governor. All right, let me get a quick time out here. It's 1124. If you're on hold, stay there. If you're not on hold, get there. I've got time for calls. 216 901 Triple eight two eight one eleven ten right here on Always Right Radio. Making a 
1420 the answer good morning norm good morning bob who is jack smith does anybody remember a jack smith that took over in the obama years the cases against citizens united other tea party groups sure uh, that's the same guy yeah 2013 with crooked lois lerner uh, evidently, Mr. Jack Smith was the uh, lead prosecutor on that, and he also wanted to, uh, and he did, obtain private taxpayer records and 501C records from Lois Lerner and the IRS. I mean, this is a man of public integrity. This is a <laughs> nice man. Yeah, he, he, and he's the guy. He's the guy who has been uh, hand selected by Merrick Garland to investigate Donald Trump. Right, and he did get a conviction of a former Republican governor of Virginia, uh, Robert McDonnell, on numerous uh, bribery charges, and then suddenly the Supreme Court overthrew it. And they, they rebuked him for, shall we say, numerous instances and cases of overzealous prosecution and broad interpretation of the law in the Supreme Court throughout the conviction of Governor McDonald. Well, so evidently, we got a real winner. Uh, he is being painted. Hands. He is being painted by the left, and even in some, you know, more fair-leaning, dare I say, right-leaning conservative media sources, as being just the paragon of virtue. He is a non-political individual. He's the perfect attorney for the job. He follows the facts wherever they may lead. He's not biased, etc. This is the way they're painting him already, but. You just described him, uh, uh, Norman. Thank you for the call, my friend. I got to get to the news. You just described him correctly as being the lead guy uh, when the IRS was choosing conservatives and selecting conservative Tea Party and Nine Twelve groups um, to hassle uh, back after uh, uh, the Tea Party was created in 2010. You are exactly right. Lois Lerner and the rest of the IRS target conservative groups to challenge their 501c3 status and so forth. So, yep, that's the guy who's investigating Trump. Nothing to see here. Right back. When the government is so bad, you just have to laugh. <laughs> Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. <laughs> Onward, we roll. Final segment of Always Right Radio for this Monday. Thanks for withstanding the chaos of the early show for us today. Uh, Got a little goofy when the power went out, but we uh, scrambled and made it work out into the alternative studio, and here we are. So uh, thanks for being with it. If you uh, listened to the Hugh Hewitt program this morning uh, as well, I appreciate that. I was sitting in for Hugh as uh, uh, he took an extra day before uh, coming in for uh, Thanksgiving week. And uh, I'm going to be off on Thursday and Friday, by the way, from a live show. But we're going to have a very, very packed two days of best of interviews and uh, show segments that we have done over the course of, I don't know, maybe even extending into the last few years. 
because uh, we try to bring you the best stuff. Uh, just just for just for the sake of reminiscing, some of it might even still be relevant today. So uh, we'll have a couple of great shows put put together for you Thursday and Friday during our best of days. Still have time for calls now two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. We're going to go to Cleveland. Doug, you're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Good morning, and go right ahead. Hey, good morning. Also, Trenton, New Jersey. I saw Doug Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L. Goodbye. Thank you for the phone call. I appreciate it. Uh, That clown calls radio shows all over the country and pushes his website, and that's not what we're here for. I'm not going to take calls like that. That's just insanity. Um, Here's what I will do, however, though, in the uh, last uh, around eight or nine minutes of the program that we have for you here. I want to play a couple of minutes of something in response to the main story that I started with this morning. And that is the terrible shooting in Colorado Springs, Colorado. We all saw it. We all are are disgusted by it, quite obviously. Um, what's even what's as disgusting is the blaming of conservatives who don't support the mutilation of children by people with political agendas being blamed for a shooting at uh, in a, uh, at a uh, gay club, and that's what the left is doing. They're literally saying that people who are publicly opposing of the trans agenda, that's not that doesn't mean trans adults being whatever it is they want to be. You can dress how you want to dress. You can what what is how does uh how does um Pastor um Robinson uh express that? Pastor Robinson expresses it this way. You can go and get dressed wait, let's let him say it here. Hold on a second. Hold on. Eight but two genders Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. You can go to the doctor and get cut up. You can go down to the dress shop and get made up. You can go down there and get drugged up. But at the end of the day, you were just a drugged up, dressed up, made up, cut up, man or woman. Thank you, Pastor Robinson, Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina. My point to that is this. Um, You can get dressed up and do all of that if you want to. Nobody says you can't, and nobody is going to harm you for doing so. The time we have a problem or the moment transitioning and have tried everything they can to stop kids from being put into that situation themselves. Well, according to Nancy Pelosi, if you feel sorry for this girl and what was done to her and her victimization at the hands of adults with an ideology and a political axe to grind, if you feel sorry for her, you killed five people in Colorado Springs. It's the anti-trans haters that are responsible for that shooting in Colorado Springs, we're told. I will never stop advocating for young kids like this to stop them from going through the terrible trauma that this young girl is going through right now. I don't care what else happens. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to my crew for helping rescue the program today. I appreciate it. Thanks to you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.